I want to tell you why I'm so excited. Because on the 5th of December, we are having our Women's Night of Worship. And you're going to hear me saying this over and over and over again because it's my favorite night of the entire year. I just want you to remember two services, 5 and 7.30. And it's on a different day. It used to be the first Wednesday of December. It's on the first Thursday of December. And that is so that our high school kids can come and join us on that night. So invite your, your daughters, your granddaughters, girls of all ages, women of all ages. Um, you will not be disappointed. We are working behind the scenes right now to create an evening that will bless you. You need to know, I consider this evening a gift to you. It's an evening that is meant to encourage your heart to give you an experience of Christmas, because I know that the rest of December, you're going to be making Christmas happen for everybody else. And this night is a night to allow you a space to focus your eyes on Jesus and just worship him. Just enter into pure adoration and worship. And our evening is about hope. So I'm hoping that you will walk away from that evening with a renewed hope in your heart for who the Lord is, who he's created you to be, and what your purpose and identity is in this world in which we live in. So um, you will be blessed. So please come and invite as many women as you can to come with you. All right, today we're talking about the power of the tongue. I wish you could have been in our leaders meeting a few minutes ago because we had such a fabulous discussion about this. I was watching a news brief on Saturday morning, and um, I noticed a common theme as each news story sort of came one after the other, and I noticed that in every story, it was something to do with words, words either spoken as lies, slandering words, intimidating words, pressuring words, gossiping words, posturing words, ranting words, whatever it was, I noticed every single news story had something to do with words. The first story was about the impeachment inquiry happening in the House of Representatives. You know what that's about? It's about words. Words spoken on a phone call between two heads of nations. And the question is, was there misuse of power? Was there intimidation? Was there pressure in words spoken that, that hinted to a deeper meaning? The next story that came up was the story of the U.S. ambassador to Ukraine, Maria Yovanovitch testifying with words before a hearing, talking about how she had been slandered by diplomats and how she had, her reputation had been tarnished by words, by words spoken through tweet messages. The next story was President Trump defending his right to speak freely, to say words in freedom via tweet to whoever he wants about whatever he wants, because that was his freedom. So he was defending his right to speak words. And then the last story was about former presidential advisor Roger Stone, who was actually accused of lying under oath to Congress, obstructing, ju judge, obstructing justice by publishing emails, words, that were from WikiLeaks that interfered with the 2016 presidential campaign. Okay, I am not hear me, making any political commentary here at all. This is not anything personal. I'm just telling you the facts. Every single news story was about somebody in trouble because of what they said, what they spoke, what they intimated through what they said. Um, do you see the common thread? The tongue has great power to stir up trouble, great power. And whether it's by a tweet or a phone call, or an email, 
or a testimony within a court, whatever the context, what we say has tremendous power to either bless or to curse, to either direct someone in their thoughts or to tarnish someone's reputation. What comes out of our mouths reveals what's in our hearts. And honestly, as I listened to these four news stories, the thing that most pricked my own heart, that most created caution in my own heart was thinking about what actually really lies in the hearts of these leaders. Are they trustworthy? Are they safe? If what's coming out of their mouths is characteristic of these kinds of things, what's originating in their hearts? But then I have to turn the spotlight right back on me and on you to say, well, what is in our hearts? What does your, how often does your tongue get you in trouble? What do what words come out of your mouth that reveal the condition of your heart? And what words have you heard that have been hurtful to you because they've been spoken by someone else to you? I know I, I imagine that all of us have something in mind that we remember that somebody spoke to us that stuck and created some pain. And you know it's not true what our parents used to say to us, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt you. Did you know that's a lie? Because bones can actually heal, but words can sting for life. And that's what James is warning us about today. He's warning us about the power of the tongue. He's warning us. You know, in Proverbs 18.21, it says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Wow. So we're going to look at this passage. We're going to see three types of power, uh, three aspects of this power. The first is in James 3, verses 1 through 4, it's the power to direct. And James is going to use imagery of a bit in a horse's mouth and a rudder in a ship to talk to us about that. Then in verses 5 through 8, he's going to talk about the power to destroy. And he's going to talk about the imagery of fire and wild animals. And then in the last section, we're going to talk about the power to delight. And he's going to use imagery of a fountain and of a tree. And what he's going to be teaching us today is that the mouth speaks the truth of the heart. The mouth speaks the truth of the heart. So the tongue is the most powerful instrument in the human body because with it we can form words. And words, as you know, can either be used for good or for evil. To bless with our words or to curse with our words. And the reason we're able to even speak words is because God speaks. God speaks words, and he has made us in his image. So we're able to speak words as well. God is the originator of words, and by God's word, he spoke all creation into existence. Go back to Genesis 1-3, when God said, let there be light, and there was light. God speaks, and it comes into being. He spoke all all of creation into being by his word. Did you know also that God speaks to himself? God exists as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is a triune God. He is one God in three persons who share one mind in all things. And we see in scripture, even back in Genesis, we see God speaking to himself. In Genesis 1.26, God said, let us make man in our image After our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, 
over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God is speaking to himself about creation. And then when God created Adam and Eve, he spoke to them when they were in the garden. He told them their identity. He told them their purpose in the garden. And he gave them the ability to speak back to him. They could speak to him in words, words of praise, words of worship. They were friends in the garden before sin came into the world. But then Satan is in the garden, and he also speaks. And when Satan speaks, he speaks very intentionally to try to distort, contradict, twist the word of God. He does this so that he can deceive people. We see in Genesis 3, 4, and 5, the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, he's talking about if you eat of that forbidden fruit off the tree that God told you not to eat from. He says, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So words are important and they can be used in good ways or they can be used in evil ways. And James is telling us there is no greater responsibility in the realm of human speech than that of a preacher or a teacher of God's word. Look at verse 1. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Specifically, James is actually talking to people who will be proclaiming the word of God within the context of the church. But this principle applies to everyone who communicates God's word to anyone else. I mean, we're all teachers of the word in some context of our lives. You're teaching your children the word of God, right? Teaching them the word, helping them to know God. You might be talking to your friend or your neighbor about what you're learning in Bible study, teaching what you're, the truths that you're gleaning from studying God's word. You might be going across the world, and you might be sharing the gospel with people in Rwanda, El Salvador, Egypt, Myanmar, The Bible tells us, right, that we're to go out and and make disciples of all nations. That means we're to go out and to share the good news of the gospel. So every time we open our mouths and we communicate something of God's word, we're accountable before him to speak truth and not exaggerate, not lie, not profane or slander or manipulate or distort scripture. We're accountable before God himself. And James is telling us that, that preachers, if you want to call them preachers or teachers or Um, pastors, people who proclaim the word of God are held to an even higher account because of the weight of influence that they carry. The authority of their position can lead large numbers of people astray if they distort the word of God for their own personal gain. Now, we've all heard the stories, right? We've heard the stories of popular preachers who end up bilking parishioners of their tithes and then using them to live like royalty, Every time an influential pastor is found out for their own hypocrisy, remember what we talked about last week when faith and works aren't congruent? That's hypocrisy. Whenever someone is found out for their hypocrisy, somebody in the world has a tarnished view of Christ. It hurts the fame of Christ. Last week I had the opportunity to spend some time with my friend, Pastor Florence. She's married to Pastor Charles, who are the originators of the um, African New Life Ministry. And she was in town, and I got to spend some time with her in the afternoon. And she was telling me that in Rwanda, the government has come in and actually shut down churches. Because what's been happening is that people have been 
emerging as church pastors and church leaders without any kind of theological training, any kind of seminary degrees. And what they're doing is they're, they're starting churches or they're speaking to large groups of people and they're twisting the word of God for their own personal gain. She told me about a church that a pastor was holding up a basket and he was telling all of these people, and you, met, you know how poor people are in Rwanda, he was telling them to come and give all of their tithes and if they gave all of their tithes, God would give them back all the more. So thankfully, the government has come, down, come in and shut that down and has actually said no one can proclaim the word of God in a church setting without being a graduate of an accredited seminary. You know, God won't be mocked. I know, praise God, but he won't be mocked. And he will hold preachers and teachers to highest account for what they proclaim in his name. Honestly, this verse makes me tremble because one day I'm going to be in that lineup. I've been teaching the word of God for 17 years. I'm going to be in that lineup myself. And this makes me tremble. There are people who preach because they love the spotlight. And there are some who want to preach because they want that moment to have all ears listening and all eyes attuned to what they have to say. But they don't understand the huge entrustment that it is to teach God's word under the weight of knowing that, that they are accountable to God himself. He is the author of all truth. And one day we will all stand before him and give account for each word we speak in his name. And honestly, I feel this pressure. You have to know, I feel this pressure every single week. It's what drives me to my knees to study and to be diligent with the word of God and to pray that the Holy Spirit leads me in exactly what I need to say to you week after week. But then, of course, the harder thing that you probably don't know is that teachers must practice what they teach or their teaching is hypocritical. So behind the scenes of a teacher's life, God is working to take the lessons and to drive them deep into their own souls so that they can teach from a place of authenticity. And a fellow preacher will know that that is a painful place to live because you have to live out each week the lessons that you're learning. Just this morning, I was in the shower and I was convicted of some things that I had said to my husband last night. Um... I was sort of being funny, but it wasn't funny. It was kind of sarcastic. And by, by the end of the night, he's like, will you just lay off me? And I was like, oh, shoot, here I am. I'm teaching about the tongue. And I have to, thank you. And I have to live this out. <laughs> Darn it. It's no fun. Anyway, none of us get it right. None of us do it perfectly. Um, but we're all on this journey of spiritual growth and maturity. We're all on this journey together. And this is what James says. He says, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So next, James helps us to understand the power of the tongue by comparing it. Excuse me, I'm leaking. (laughs) Next, um, he helps us to understand the power of the tongue by describing two very small items that have great power to lead something enormous. Um, He talks about the bit, which can control the direction of a horse, and the rudder, which can control the way that a ship is steered. He says in verse 3, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. They are so large and are driven by strong winds, and they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. 
Interestingly, the bit and the rudder both have to overcome contrary forces, right? The bit has to overcome the power of the horse, this wild being that has to be subdued with this bit in his mouth. And the rudder has to overcome the power of the wind and the waves in order to go the direction that the, that the ship's captain is steering it. And in the same way, our tongues must fight against the forces of our old nature, that part of us that wants to control us, that wants to to lead us into sin. And we have two forces working against us. We not only have the old nature, the flesh, but we also have the pressures of the world. And these are continually battling against our desire to try to restrain our words. You know it's so hard to hold back words when we're fueled with emotion, right? But that's exactly the time when we need to hold back because Scripture reminds us of this, that our words matter. Proverbs 12, says, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. Proverbs 15, 1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Matthew 15, 11, It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a person. Matthew 15, 18 through 19 But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. So James is reminding us that in the same way that an expert horseman can control the full power of his horse with just a bit, and the same way that a ship captain can control the direction of a ship with the, with the rudder, Jesus can control our hearts. Jesus can direct our speech. When the Lord Jesus helps us to bridle our tongues, we are able then to control our whole bodies. And the truth is, we need Jesus to direct our speech. We need Jesus to direct our speech. Can you think of a time recently when a situation might have turned out very, very differently if you had surrendered control of your tongue to the Lord Jesus. For me, it was just last night. Maybe for you, it's this morning. But can you think of a time when, when you were in a situation where things would have gone very, very differently if you had allowed the Lord to direct those words that were coming out of your mouth instead of blurting something out that was fueled with emotion? Maybe it wasn't an argument with your husband. Maybe it was harsh words with your teenager. Maybe it was just that, maybe it wasn't even words. It was just that, that agitation that came out of your tone with your preschoolers. Maybe it was a gossipy story that you shared about a coworker or something demeaning about a boss. Maybe it was an aggressive exclamation that you made towards a fellow driver. <laughs> See, I knew I'd get you at some point. (laughs) Why do we feel that we have license to say whatever flits across our minds in any given moment? Why do we feel that if we think it, we can say it? Why? Words hurt and can leave scars for life. So how do we do this? How do we surrender our speech to Jesus? I'm just going to share two things. First is we have to approach the Lord in a spirit of humility. 
We have to come before him understanding that we are powerless to do this without his help. And we need to confess our self-righteousness and our pride and acknowledge that unless he changes our hearts, we will never actually be able to control our speech. And then we need to pray. We just need to ask God for wisdom. Remember, James is all about, hey, ask for wisdom. God will give it to you freely. We need to ask him for wisdom and ask him to help us control. You know, he's given us his Holy Spirit. One of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. We need to ask him, give me that fruit of the Spirit that will help me control my speech. You know, they say that God gave us teeth to cage in our tongue and a mouth to shut it back, (laughs) to close it up, right? Ask him, Lord, help me cage in my tongue and shut my mouth in those moments when I just need to be silent. And here's a great verse that you could pray. Psalm 141, verses 3 and 4. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart incline to do any evil, to busy myself with wicked deeds in company with men who work iniquity. And let me not eat of their delicacies. Another, Lord, don't let me go there. Help me just guard my mouth, close my mouth, and not, not let myself go into a place of sin. Well, next, James makes a comparison between the tongue and a fire or an, a wild animal. He says in verse 5, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire, and the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Ugh, so harsh. You know, but it only takes a spark to ignite a wildfire, right? On October 23rd, a spark from a power pole in California ignited the Kincaid Fire in California, which has now become known as the largest blaze in the year of 2019. Just a spark from a power pole set 77,000 acres on fire. 360 structures burned. 174 of them were homes. Just a spark. In the same way, James is saying that's what happens with our words, that our words can start a fire like this. And this can happen in a church. It can happen in a place where, where criticism and complaining begins to cause dissension and to divide people. When I first moved to Portland, we attended a church. This was 30-something years ago. We attended a church um, where the people were beginning to hotly debate whether the pastor should be allowed to continue leading the church. There wasn't any sin issue with the pastor at all. But what had happened was there was a prominent man in that church who had a very fine uh, standing in the community. And he began, began to sort of instigate this conversation by saying derogatory things about the pastor and sort of rallying people around him. And it came down to like a church meeting one day where people were all gathered to discuss whether or not this lead pastor should continue pastoring the church. And I will never forget this meeting. It was the most discouraging gathering of God's people I had ever experienced where there was this battling of words, this fighting back and forth, this this tearing down And eventually the lead pastor got a no-confidence vote by the people, and this man stepped in as the new lead pastor. It was terrible. We ended up leaving the church. It was, I I couldn't go back and worship after hearing the things that were said in this context. It 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 was like a spark that ignited a fire that did so much lasting damage 
And see, that's the thing. Like, not only does a fire start small and then grow wild, but it also generates heat. And when it burns, it leaves damage from smoke and reduces what was once beautiful into ashes. And that's what happens to our fiery words in relationships, right? It's very hard to undo the damage when things are said in the heat of the moment. Words have the power to destroy and spread devastation. Proverbs 16.27 says, A worthless man plots evil, and his speech is like a scorching fire. Proverbs 26.21 says, As charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. Think of the book that Hitler wrote called Mein Kampf. Think of the impact that this one book had on the world. world. They say this book contains 153,000 words, and they say that for every single word in that book, 552 lives were lost in World War II. 85 million people. That's the power of words. Because the tongue is so dangerous, James goes on to say, it's difficult to tame, even more difficult than a wild animal. Verse 7, he says, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I've shared with you before that my brother tames Bengal tigers for a living. He's a professional illusionist. Here's him with um, his newest tiger, who's gotten very big. Um, So he uses his tigers in his show, and he uh, raises awareness for tiger conservation around the world in the process. Um, Trust me, these are powerful animals. And in the right circumstances, they could maim or kill somebody. But my brother has invested his life taming them bringing them in the house, feeding them bottles, spending time with them, developing a relationship with them. These Bengal tigers can be tamed. But James says it's easier to do that, it's easier to tame a tiger than it is to tame your own tongue. Yikes, we're in bad shape. The human tongue is like a wild beast that can only be subdued by the Lord Jesus. The truth is that we need Jesus to tame our tongues. We need Jesus to tame our tongues. You know, animals can be tamed. And when they are subdued, they can become very productive rather than destructive. I mean, think about a horse that you can ride. Think about an oxen that can pull a plow. Think about a service dog that can lead the blind. Animals tamed can be wonderful companions and productive parts of society. We know even that fires can be controlled. And when they are, they produce heat or they produce power. However, you and I will never be able to control our sinful speech by our own power because our mouths reveal the sinful condition of our hearts. But God, by his power, through the indwelling Holy Spirit, can transform the desire of our hearts, thus changing what comes out of our mouth. And we participate with God in this by giving him permission to help us and then consciously exercising self-restraint. Proverbs 17, 27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise, 
When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. See? And Psalm 39.1 says, I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle. Now, I want you to think for a moment, very, very carefully. I want you to think and write it down if you want to on your, on your notes. But will you think about a conversation topic that for you elicits a lot of emotion and has the potential to unlock the cage of the tongue? Think about it, okay? Maybe for you it's politics. Maybe for you it's a cultural hot topic, gun control, vaccinations, homeschooling or public schooling, climate change. Topics, hot topics in our culture. What begins to boil up in you as you think about these topics? What about um, hot topics in the church? Race relations. Women's roles in ministry, gay marriage. Pay attention. What's going on in your heart as these topics are brought up? Are these topics things that will tend to elicit emotion in you that will cause you to speak without thinking, to speak without restraint? What about circumstances that arouse your ire? Slow drivers, fast drivers. Rude neighbors, dogs off leash, (laughs) bullying, social injustice. How do those things stir you up? Want to arise in you a desire to lash out, to speak out? Now, what about people in your life that can set you off with just a spark? Your husband, your mother, your sister your friend, your teenager, your toddler. The thing is about people, especially people who are related to us, the reason that just a spark can set us off is because we have a whole history with people. And it might just be a word, but instantly your heart goes into years and years of history, baggage, stored up wounds, hurt things that have been said, and it just takes a spark and you're blazing full on with the fire. Will you examine your heart? Where is there bitterness? Where is there fear? Where is there anxiety or anger or resentment in your heart that you need to bring before the Lord Jesus before you let your mouth exclaim things that are fueled and can set a fire? Ask the Lord to give you his peace, that kind of peace that passes all understanding. Just flood your heart with peace. Ask him to help you close your mouth and seek his wisdom and perspective before speaking. And I'm going to imagine that many of you are going to have opportunities to practice this next week because it's Thanksgiving. By the way, we will not be meeting here next Tuesday. Next Tuesday is our Thanksgiving holiday. But you're going to, I'm imagining, have lots of opportunities to practice what James is teaching us. And remember that only God can tame our tongues. It's impossible for us to do it on our own. But God can do impossible things as we submit our hearts to him in faith. Jesus told us that. He said in Matthew 19, 26, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so lastly, James is going to explain how our words can flow with goodness when our hearts are filled with grace. He says in verse 9, with this tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. Darn it. 
That's the truth, isn't it? Because how many times have you been in your car and you're singing praise music and you're worshiping God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then somebody cuts you off and the things that come out of your mouth are no longer praise to God, right? It happens. Or how many times have you been at church and you've been just praising God and and fellowshipping, and then you go home in the car and you start to speak critically about the pastor and his message and the worship and that person sitting next to you. And it's just like that because we're so disintegrated as people. We are, we are so duplicitous. Our hearts are fragmented. And we, we speak disparagingly. We speak praise to God in one moment and then disparagingly about other people in the next. And James tells us, he's like, just stop it. He says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Just don't do this. He says, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So he's using water first as a metaphor for words. These are words that are life-giving to the human soul. You know, water is a basic necessity of life. We have to have water to drink, to bathe, to cook, to clean. And clean water is vital for healthy living. And he's saying in the same way, healthy, clean, fresh words, God-glorifying words, are vital for, for healthy relationships. Words that are kind and loving and affirming, they can give refreshment and cleansing and healing to our relationships. Proverbs 18.4 says, The words of a man's mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a bubbling brook. Proverbs 10.11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 13.14 says, The teaching of the wise is a fountain of life, that one may turn away from the snares of death. Can you think about some words of blessing that have been spoken to you? You know, things that somebody has said to you, a blessing or a word that spoke your identity into you or an encouragement, affirmation. Somebody looked at you and saw you and and said, I see this in you and how that has stuck with you, how you can remember that, how important that was. Can you remember the way it made you feel? Can you remember how many times you've returned to that at times when you needed encouragement to just remind yourself that this person saw this in you and spoke that blessing into your life? You know, with our tongues, we have the ability to bless people with life-giving words of encouragement. And they say there are 12 words that actually we should say often and say with great sincerity. Please. Thank you. I'm sorry. I love you. And I'm praying for you. And then, of course, you are praying. Think of the opportunities as a mom that you have to speak truth and wisdom and affirmation and encouragement into the life of your children, even your adult children or your grandchildren. How many times have we heard stories of young people saying, my grandma used to say this to me, and it, I, I made different choices because my grandma believed in me. It matters. The words that you speak to each other, your kids and your grandkids will remember your words forever. They are life-giving. Jesus' words were life-giving. He says in John 6.63, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. When we open God's word, we receive from Jesus words full of spirit and life. Well, secondly, James says that, that like a tree, 
We must be deeply rooted in order to be healthy and to bear fruit. And so in Christ, he's basically showing us a picture that we are to be deeply rooted in the Lord so that we can speak words of life to another person. And he's warning us that we can't fake it. He's saying, you know, he's reminding us that nature produces after its own kind. If you are a fig tree, you're going to produce figs. You're not going to produce grapes or anything else. You're going to produce what you are. So what comes out of your mouth is going to be a revelation of what's in your heart, of who you are at the core. But if we're tethered to Christ and if we're submitted to his lordship, then what flows out of our fountain will be fresh water. And what fruit is born on our tree will be consistent with who we are in Christ, our identity in him. We'll become integrated. The truth is that we need our hearts changed by Jesus. We need our hearts changed by Jesus. Our words are an inclination of our true spiritual condition. And, you know, the heart is, is not this beating heart. It's the core of who you are. When the Bible speaks of our hearts, it's the essence of who we are. And so when sinful words spring out of our mouths, it's an indication that we're crusty or calloused or bitter or angry or fearful or anxious. There's something not right in the core of who we are with the Lord, and that's why things spring out of our mouths. But I'm so thankful that God doesn't leave us in this condition without hope. You know, Back in Genesis, when I told you that, that God was the first one to speak words of creation, and then Satan came and messed it all up by distorting the word of God, and sin came into the word, world, well, Genesis 3.15 are God's words of promise, of redemption, of hope. He promised that he would send a Savior into the world who would conquer sin and death and crush the head of the serpent. And this next month, that's what we're going to be celebrating. As we celebrate Christmas, we're going to be remembering the fulfillment of his promise when he sent the Savior, Jesus, into the world through the womb of a woman, just like he said in Genesis 3.15. And we're going to be celebrating Jesus. Jesus is the word of God manifest in human flesh. And he is the gospel good news. He is inviting us into a life, a daily life that has been redeemed from this sin and death. I love that God never breaks his word. When he speaks, it always comes to be exactly as he says, and God is the one who has the final word over our lives. We are invited into this saving grace, this relationship with him by his word and through the person of Jesus Christ who is called the word, the word of God. And he's the one that changes our hearts. He's the one who makes this transformation that actually begins to become evidenced through our lips. Praise God we are not who we once were, Praise God that we're not who we are yet going to become. We're all in a process of transformation and change by the spirit who is at work within us. And now we actually have power to speak words that give glory to God, that praise him, that worship him, and that can affirm and encourage and speak truth and blessing to each other. And it's so important because not only are we being blessed by being women of the word, being changed, being transformed, but we also are in relationship in our lives with people who need this transformation, who need to know the Lord Jesus as the living water, the fountain, the good tree. We have the ability not only to be transformed, but also to go out into our world and be agents of transformation in the lives of others by sharing this good word of Jesus. Next week, we're all going to be sitting around Thanksgiving tables. 
right? And this is going to be a wonderful opportunity for you to speak words of blessing and encouragement to the people around you. And I know for some of you, you're really looking forward to it. It's going to be delightful. Everyone at your table is going to be like-minded. You're all going to love Jesus. It's just going to be just sharing glory after glory. For some of you, this is going to be really, really challenging. You already have a pit in your stomach because you know you're going to be sharing this day with family members where there's a lot of hurt and a lot of baggage and a lot of different perspectives on eternal things. So I want to encourage you, will you please begin praying now for God to help you speak when you need to speak and be quiet when you need to be quiet. Pray now and ask him to prepare your heart for these moments where you're going to be in challenging situations. Will you also ask him between now and then to give you a little space so that you can invite his love to come into your heart and fill in the places where you are going to need to express love to people who you find most unlovely. And we all have them. It's not your love. It's not your speech. It's his speech. It's his love. Ask him to, to work in your heart even now for this, in preparation for this time. And then will you trust him to guide you by his spirit as you navigate temptations to say things, to be like a spark that sets a fire ablaze. Instead, will you say, Lord, would you use my mouth to be a fountain of fresh water that I can actually pour words of life on the people around me? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't it be amazing if we all gathered the first week of December and had stories to share of how we allowed the Lord Jesus to direct our speech, to tame our tongue, and to pour words of delight out of our mouths because we trusted him to change our hearts? Will you stand? Let me pray about that for us. Father, once again, we come before you, and um, we just need to confess to you that we fall short time and time again in this area of our lives because we just say things without thinking without checking our hearts before you, without asking for your wisdom, without exercising self-control or being filled with your spirit, and we hurt people. We say too much or we say too little. We react with emotion. Lord, we are so frail in this part of our lives, and I'm so grateful for this lesson which drives us to our knees before your throne with great humility because we need you, Lord. We just sang this song, fix our eyes on you, and we need you. We cannot do this without you. You tell us that. You tell us that we cannot control our speech without your help, and so we admit right here and now that this is true, and we are asking you to help us. I pray as we go into this next week where there's going to be lots of opportunities for us to fail and to react that even now you would let your spirit be so pronounced that you would tap us on the shoulder and remind us, no, submit your heart to me and let me be an instrument of love and grace through you. I pray we would all hear those words, Lord, and we'd be deeply encouraged. And I'm so grateful for your word, which tells us the truth about who we are and about who you are and about the grace and love and forgiveness that you provide for us when we mess up. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.